Welcome to the ATEM podcast. My name is Andrew Clark, and this is the place to be to catch up on what you missed at the 2021 edition of the online 24 hours of ATEM. So, for this third episode, we will cover delivering next gen audiovisual experiences in Dolby. So, let's start the engine. everybody. Hello from Paris. My name is Sylvia Candido. I'm the Marketing Communications Director at ATEM and I will be moderating this session. We will start with a 50-minute presentation and then we'll have a 10-minute Q&A at the end. So if you have questions, please just post them, uh, share them with us in the Q&A. We'll take them at the end. If we don't get around to your questions, we'll, get, uh, we'll write to you by email in the coming days. So are your engines ready? Let's get started. This session will be about delivering next-gen audiovisual experiences in Dolby. To make media consumption more captivating, you need vivid images and immersive sound, and Dolby enables both. But how can you access such technologies and integrate them into your video platforms? That's what we'll be exploring in this session with three excellent speakers. Joining us from London are Jason Power, who's the Senior Director of Commercial Partnerships and Standards at Dolby, and Jacob Smith, who is Staff Solutions Engineer, also at Dolby. And from Los Angeles, we have Thomas Burnichon, who is VP Innovation Strategy at ATEM, Let's start by hearing Thomas, who will tell us how Dolby technology has been integrated into ATEM's Titan encoders and what that means for you. Over to you, Thomas. Thanks, Elia. So let, let's start with a basic but I feel important question. Why would you even want to deploy high dynamic range or HDR and next generation audio or NGA? Well, it's good to first remember that we are all here to serve the end user. And basically, they want compelling content. And just throwing more pixels at them is not going to make it. UHD has been shown time and again as being a nice addition, but not enough to, to really uh, make a, a meaningful difference. So you don't need just more pixels, you also need better pixels. And that's precisely what we are doing with HDR and white color gamut. So I, I won't go into too much detail during this presentation. But here on the right, you see us with HDR and white color gamut, you are expanding the possibilities of providing um, a more accurate level of blacks, what you could name true, true blacks. Um, you can use deeper colors, uh, increase your contrast, uh, provide more accurate highlights, and that's useful to uh, get uh, and generate and transmit more convincing images. Same is true for NGA. Uh, while uh, the traditional uh, formats are 2D, so sound is around you, uh, with uh, NGA, you can get to 3D with, with sound that basically come from, from the ceiling. And that also participate in making the experience more, more immersive. 
which increase customer engagement and basically allow you to capture and retain customers. So it's all nice and well, but it's easier said than done to deploy HDR and, and NGA. So first you need to produce content uh, and so, source them. Uh, it's not necessarily easy. Uh, when you get that, it can be in a variety of formats. You can be in, a, in, H, in PQ, perceptual quantizer, but also in HLG. Uh, you can have some native camera feed in S-Log3. That can be complex to manage. And that's just the start. Then you need to translate that into a format suitable for delivery. And it was already complex to cope with a variety of set-of-box models, but now that you need to deal with all kinds of devices, connected devices, that all have different characteristics and supported format that can get complex pretty quick. In the same way, things get really complex when you start to mix uh, HDR content with SDR content, uh, which is typically the case when you want to insert ads. Your ads are in SDR. Most of the time they are stereo, sometimes 5.1. So that can be a challenge to, to mix with uh, NGA experience. Same goes for overlays. If your logos are all SDR, or do you uh, blend them on an HDR content? For subtitles, uh, if your subtitle gets too bright in HDR, you can basically uh, become, it can become annoying for the end users. Similarly, for NGA, there are loneliness considerations to keep in mind when doing an, uh, um, NGA. Um, it's not just about being more immersive. You still want to, to comply with loneliness regulation. Let's say you have a beautiful SDR guide with picture-in-picture -picture content. Well, if this uh, content gets HDR, how will the TV react to the mix of SDR and HDR? It's not necessarily easy. And also for your production uh, sites, you don't want to start stacking up equipment for each individual format or processes and chaining them because you will increase cost, increase the likelihood of failure on the chain. So you need to rationalize that. And uh, looking at uh, the bigger picture, you also want to transfer that production usually in full IP, sometimes using 2110, and even moving all of that, or at least part of it, to a cloud infrastructure. And by the time you came up with solution for all those questions, there's a new dozens of them that came in in the meantime. And you need basically a partner and a solution capable to keep up and be flexible and be adaptable to, to what's coming ahead. And that's precisely the business we're in with ATEM and our transcoder type. I like these slides, courtesy of Yuri Gutzkens. It kind of shows that the uh, HDR formats ecosystem is pretty complex, but there is one player that positioned early on that and support them all, and it's ATEM. To talk specifically about Dolby Vision, this uh, is more than a format. It's actually a multiple format. I'll, I'll get to it in a second, but it's also a full ecosystem. It was launched in uh, January uh, 14, so already some time ago. It's already very mature. And it addressed some key industry concerns. First, it really aims to preserve the artistic intent through the content uh, processing chain and uh, delivery chain. Uh, 
it's important because HDR gives you more flexibility and more possibility, but it's down to the content producers, so the artists to actually use that efficiently. And the ability to consistently display that on multiple uh, consumer devices is, is really important and actually a very challenging and complex problem. And Dolby positioned early on that, and it, I feel it was validated, uh, the interest in the market was validated because recently we, we saw no new uh, initiative going in that direction with things like Netflix really in mode or more recently the filmmaker. And Dolby also wants to, to manage those workflow at scale and cross-platform. So it was very ambitious program. And in fact, it started well before 14 with intense research activity and that resulted, for example, in the perceptual quantizer definition, which is used obviously in the division, but also across the industry in uh, um, many uh, other HDR formats like HDR10. And where do we stand now? Well, the, the ecosystem is getting very large. You have a lot of content creators that uh, support Dolby Vision on the studio side, on uh, new media side, uh, leading broadcaster as well. You have uh, all the streaming platforms that deliver uh, Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos now, and also more uh, uh, traditional uh, players like uh, Orange, BT, uh, that, that are also in, in the game. And on the consumer devices side, basically, uh, everything can, can get Dolby Vision. You have most TVs, many set-top boxes, uh, HDMI dongles, uh, uh, PCs, of course, Ultra HD Blu-ray player, and importantly, mobile devices, and last but not least, uh, the Apple ones, which were a strategic win for, for Dolby Vision. Well, talking about uh, delivery profiles now of Dolby Vision, like I said, there are actually multiple of them. So I'm uh, citing four here. Profile five is the one used usually on streaming uh, services that can tell that the end device is, is supporting Dolby Vision because it's a very efficient profile uh, using a specific color space close to HCTCP, uh, but it requires the end device to actually support Dolby Vision. To, uh, you can't do anything uh, uh, without it. That's not the case of the other profile here. Uh, first one being Profile 7 that was designed for Blu-ray, where the base layer is in HDR10, so that a non-Dolby Vision Blu-ray player can actually use that. It also has an additional layer, uh, enhancement layer, to be able to go beyond the 10-bit limitation of the base layer, uh, but that can be pretty complex. So uh, there were requests on the market for simpler uh, profile, which uh, came in with uh, profile 8.1 and 8.4, where the base is respectively in PQ and in uh, HLG. There are other profiles, notably the profile 10, which is uh, using an AV1 uh, encoding scheme instead of HVC. Moving on, uh, it's an ecosystem. So on the file side, it starts not at distribution, but at mastering. And without getting into too much details, the colorists in their grading suit, uh, grading suit sorry, have uh, Dolby equipment that allows them to 
uh, to grade at the same time HDR and SDR without duplicating the work. It results typically in the mezzanine where you have Dolby Vision mastering metadata. Well, those metadata can be fed straight into a Titan that will recognize them and basically use them to drive the processing and generate an encode, typically in HEVC, generate the, the distribution metadata this time that goes along this HEVC encode. You can optionally uh, do content mapping because the master is typically done uh, to a peak brightness of 4,000 nits, whereas for distribution, you might want to turn it down to 1,000 nits because most TV won't go much beyond that today. Well, you can do that using the uh, Dolby Vision processing built into uh, Titan 5. And then I'll conclude with a few words on live workflows for Dolby Vision, where this time you can't afford to carefully craft every uh, shot uh, with a uh, expensive and time-consuming grading suit. So you need to come up with a, a more uh, automated solution, which is precisely what Dolby did with coming up with a live Dolby Vision processor. It was first included in a dedicated hardware unit with uh, SDI uh, interfaces called HPU that we used uh, quite successfully back in 18 to do the first live uh, Dolby Vision or transmission. Uh, and, and but still supported if you want to. Uh, but we wanted to simplify that. So we worked with Dolby to actually integrate this function in the Titan Live itself so that you don't have to use SDI, you don't have to use those external gear and can basically rationalize your, your workflow. Uh, and, and yeah that's working quite well. And we now have similar uh, uh, option for Atmos, but I'll uh, hand over the mic to Jason and Jacob to uh, talk to you a bit about the theory behind it and practical deployment we already did. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, let me share my screen here, just bear with me. Of course, if you have any question, feel free to use the Q&A. Uh, uh, box and we'll have a, a few minutes to address q at the end of the session. Great, thank you. So, so let's change gear and, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, about audio. Um, so hello everybody, my name is Jason Power. Um, I'm a senior director with Dolby based in London. Um, and it's, it's my fun job to work with the industry to introduce new experiences. And a focus for me at the moment is the introduction of immersive and personalized audio. Um, and I'm gonna give you a quick overview of, of some of the progress that we've been making um, and some of the opportunities there are with, uh, with the immersive and personalized audio. And then I'll hand over to my colleague, Jake, uh, from our technical team, who can go into a little bit more technical detail um, on, uh, on uh, one of the new technologies, so Dolby AC4, and, uh, and take you through a few example workflows on projects where we've been very pleased to work with, with ATEM. So let's, uh, let's get started. Um, so as I think about, uh, about audio, I mean, traditionally, we've thought about audio in terms of channels. Um, so, you know, when we've mixed audio, when we've prepared audio, we've really produced it with a particular speaker configuration in mind. So maybe stereo audio, thinking of a left and a right speaker. Um, so we've thought about particular numbers of speakers and those speakers have all been arranged in one plane. 
Um, but, but when we think about audio out in the real world, it doesn't just come from a couple of speakers in front of us, it comes from all around us. And not just all in one plane, but actually audio comes from, from all around us, including, including overhead. And so, so one of the big transitions that has been uh, exciting to, to see gain tremendous momentum in the entertainment industry over the last five years has been transitioned to, to a new world where we've opened up that soundscape, where we've opened up the soundscape. So we, for the first time, have the dimension of height. We can start to wrap sound all around the viewer and where we can localize individual sounds from discrete places in space so that we can do a much better job of rendering the realistic sound environment that we experience out there in, in the real world. Now, the technology that we built to be able to do this is, is something we call Dolby Atmos. And as you might expect, it, it's, it started out well, uh, in the cinema. And in the cinema, what we could do is we could start to place speakers really all around the, the audience, including putting speakers on the ceiling. Um, but there was tremendous interest in bringing that experience to the home. Um, and, and in the home, what we can do with Dolby Atmos is, is we don't have to surround the viewer any longer with, with speakers. We certainly don't have to put speakers on the ceiling. Um, but new devices like soundbars give us the chance to uh, very conveniently just place uh, you know, to create the sound from a single unit, you know, this case soundbar under the TV, and bounce that sound off the walls and off the ceiling to give that effect as just as if the viewer was sitting with speakers wrapped all the way around them. And, and what's been really interesting to see is the industry embrace this and, and create ever more convenient ways for the, for the listener to experience this in their home. Um, and if you look at the latest statistics, there's actually a huge number of devices out there that can give the viewer these experiences. Um, so sure, you know, massive range of home theater systems, of home theater speakers, of sound bars that can do this, but increasingly the ability to get this experience just from the same device where you're watching the video. So over 400 models of TV that have the capability to do this from the speakers built into the TV itself. Um, uh, nearly 400 models of smartphone and tablet that can do the same thing over the speakers of the, of the mobile device or over a pair of headphones by binaural rendering. So it, increasingly the consumer has access to this experience just out of the box. And, and that's a great way in to discovering the joys of immersive audio um, and a way of getting people hooked. And maybe they're gonna be a soundbar customer next and a home cinema customer next, but it gets people you know, hooked on this fantastic immersive entertainment experience. That's fueled an explosion in production of content in Dolby Atmos for the home. So, uh, so you know, about 800 movie titles available on platforms like, uh, like the, the Apple Store um, and, and a huge amount of episodic production going on. Um, so I don't know if your family is as hooked on, on Hamilton as, uh, as mine is, but you know, if you watch Hamilton on Disney Plus um, or you know, One Division that's just gone live, uh, if you, it, on, on Disney Plus, if you're watching Bridgerton on Netflix, if you're watching the Star Wars sagas on, on Apple, 
or even if you're tuning in to the esports streaming of BlizzCon, which was live last week, all of those bits of content being produced in immersive audio to give that added experience. What's been really great to work with Atem on is, is helping to bring this experience out of that, you know, that episodic world and into the, into the live entertainment world. Um, and, and, and breaking out you know, from streaming services and, and bring it to, to pay TV and broadcast too. Um, so we were you know, really pleased as, as somebody based in Europe, I was really pleased that um, the world's first broadcast, uh, live broadcast services with, with Dolby Atmos uh, we're here in Europe with um, with BT Sport and then and then Sky, and they've expanded those services to all sorts of content. So uh, so uh, all of the UHD coverage um, of English Premiership football and a number of other sports being produced live and really capturing the atmosphere of this of the stadium and the unique atmosphere of the of the stadium for uh, for those services. And it's kind of really interesting that even as we've been through this horrific year and had uh, had lockdown with empty stadia, that immersive sound has become such an important part of Sky's live coverage that actually what you can see there is them uh, virtually recreating the sound of the stadium and the sounds of the crowds uh, because that immersive audio has been become such an important part of the coverage. Um, so they've added that feature into their coverage even while the stadiums have, uh, have been empty uh, to give that, that the, the viewer that, that heightened sense of engagement with the game. And, uh, and particularly with Atem, it's been great to work on projects with, uh, with operators like Comcast, uh, with Orange to bring, those, uh, to bring those services into the market. So to take a step back and, and, and think a little bit about technology here, there are, there are two main technologies that are making this all work. Um, so, so, so what's fueled that massive growth in immersive audio has been the ability to leverage an existing audio codec that was already deployed in the market, it was already in devices. Um, it was, uh, you know, dates back was introduced even in the HD era. So it's, it, it's, uh, it's a common device, a common format that's supported by devices. It's already in use by many operators and many broadcasters. Um, and that was a, a format called Dolby Digital Plus, or sometimes get called, gets called Enhanced AC3. Um, and uh, that has the capability to carry something uh, that, uh, that, uh, that has the catchy name of Joint Object Coding or JOC. Um, and basically what that means is a way of adding into the bitstream the immersive uh, audio information that enables us to carry that, that full immersive audio experience with a way that's backwards compatible in a way that's backwards compatible to existing devices. So that's a great way of, of getting an immersive experience out there to lots and lots of devices. But as we look forward, there's also the chance to, to, to take a new step, particularly as we think about defining new platforms, platforms for the future, and, uh, and, and move to the latest audio coding technology. And that gives us the chance not just to think about immersive audio, but to think about additional things. So think about personalization of the audio, think about audio, making audio more accessible, uh, about getting greater efficiency, having better loudness management, better dynamic control. So for this, we've introduced a technology called Dolby AC4. But as you might expect, we've built that in a way that's compatible with Dolby Atmos. So all of the Dolby Atmos content that's been created and that I talked about before can be, can be delivered either with Dolby Digital Plus or with Dolby AC4. 
And importantly, as you'll hear from Jake, the, uh, those, uh, those, uh, those streams or broadcasts, um, when decoded by the device, a name can then be connected to existing Dolby Atmos home cinemas and soundbars. So we maintain compatibility to, to, the, to the end devices that people already have in their homes without requiring them to go, to go get new home cinema systems. So, um, so perhaps we can do a quick poll here. Um, so, so Sylvia, if you could, if, if you, uh, if it's possible to trigger the poll, have a poll on on which feature you think is most interesting of uh, of, of next generation audio. Um, so, uh, so which of these do you think is the most uh, most important? The, the ability to support immersive audio, the ability to provide extended uh, audio description for the visually impaired. Um, the ability to enhance dialogue so that it's really uh, clear for all viewers and viewers that need it can choose to get a bit of dialogue boost. Um, the fact just to do any of this with more data rate efficiency or the ability to personalize sound for individual preferences, say different languages or, or different, uh, different viewer experiences. Um, so let me give you a, a few more seconds to, seconds to vote here. Um, what I would say is uh, this, uh, there's actually been some very interesting work by the Pearl, the US station group, where they went out and asked consumers this uh, very similar questions. And, uh, and, and, uh, and there, uh, they found very clearly that, well, first of all, that audio and image quality was very important to, to consumers. Um, and, uh, and that immersive audio and dialogue enhancement uh, were were you know clearly the two the two main things that um, that they found were, uh, were 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 particularly valuable, and I've seen similar results in other studies such as um, uh, such as uh, from the uh, from the, the from the DTG. So um, let me see if I have a chance to pull up the results here. So I'm just looking at the results here, and uh, yeah, I see uh, so similar results. So Atmos immersive audio. Uh, coming coming through um, strongly, uh, dialogue enhancement also coming strongly in second position there. Um, but interestingly, the ability to personalize audio streams, so perhaps to to give multi-language capability or the ability to um, to give a, 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 a different version, say a, a commentary favoring one team versus another team in a, in a football match. That's interesting results. So thank you, uh, Sylvia, for your help to, uh, to make that work. Um, so um, to just give you a feeling of progress in the market. So AC4 is, is deploying very fast. So it's been adopted in over 20 UHD TV specifications, including the specification for the rollout of ATSC3 uh, TV services in the US, uh, which is under the NextGen TV brand, um, and also for a number of DVB specifications um, so, uh, so it's been selected for in all of the European countries that have selected to roll out next generation audio. Um, it's it, it's been included in those specifications, um, and as a result, we're seeing uh, nearly all of the UHD TVs now shipping in Europe um, include AC4, um, and all of the ATSC3 TVs in the US already shipping. So significant numbers of of, of TVs already in the market that can that can support these uh, these new this new format. And uh, it's not just about TVs, also uh, good momentum in the mobile space um, with manufacturers like Samsung, Oppo, 
a number of others shipping uh, uh, devices, including AC4. And this is particularly as important as we're starting to see the launch of, for example, new music services that are targeting an, uh, an immersive listening experience over headphones for music, immersive music listening, um, such as the one that was, uh, that was launched recently by Tidal. Um, and then fi finally for me, uh, just a taster of, of some of the projects we've been doing with, with ATEM, um, with AC4. And so we're really pleased to work again on the Roland Garros uh, French Open Tennis Championship uh, late last year, despite all the coronavirus restrictions, um, and to enable France TV with their UHD TV broadcast. Um, there we, uh, we enabled a fully immersive uh, AC4 soundtrack delivered over satellite and terrestrial to TVs that are already in the market. Um, and we were particularly pleased to work with, with ATEM to enable for the first time, a completely open standards-based production workflow, um, leveraging some work by the EBU on serial ADM. Um, we've also worked closely on the launch of uh, a TVP's service on the new, T, uh, T, new DVB-T2 platform in Poland. And there it's almost at the other end of the scale where they're broadcasting HD broadcasts just with the existing stereo audio, but they're making use of a a feature of AC4 that gives them automatic dialogue enhancement. So without changing anything in the way they produce content, they've been able to give that key benefit to the audience of being able to boost the level of dialogue if they want that extra clarity. And as I mentioned, we're working with, with ATEM and other professional partners on the rollout of uh, ATSC3 next generation services, uh, next generation TV services in the US. So with that, let me hand over to Jake and he can introduce you to AC4 technology in a little bit more detail and, and talk you through the workflows that are in use in some of those projects. So over to you, Jake. Great, thanks, Jason. Um, I'll just try and take over the screen share. Uh, and here's where I'd just like to jump in and, and echo back to one of the, uh, the slides that Jason showed actually which is the, the main features uh, as we see them of, of AC4, the immersiveness um, that we can deliver through Dolby Atmos, accessibility features, and then the personalization. But uh, there's a couple of other under the hood features really that are sort of uh, worth mentioning at this point, which is the, uh, the bit rate. So AC4 being a, a new codec, it's uh, state of the art in terms of its efficiency in delivering all these experiences as well. And one of the things which I think we've not mentioned much, but um, uh, Thomas actually brought it up in his slides was was loudness. And that's one of the things where we've got uh, built in features to AC4 to to take care of loudness in a very um, efficient way so that it's not an area of, uh, of worry for those who um, have networks where uh, sources can be unknown. There's automatic correction with our real time loudness leveler. So just to look at the, the bandwidth efficiency and, and to comment on that, you can see here that um, stereo bit rates can be incredibly low now. And our immersive delivery can be as low as 192 kilobits per second with a, a, a very efficient um, encode there. And that's you know half or lower than what we're delivering with Dolby Digital Plus. So that's um, hopefully something which is you know, going to enable the, the experience to reach more endpoints where bandwidth efficiency is, is a, a real squeeze. And um, of course, with object-based audio, where we have 
beds and commentary objects, the efficiency of that system then multiplies because you can deliver a whole new immersive experience for just the overhead of a single mono track. And so that really steps into the, um, into the capabilities of, of object-based audio and how it can be utilized to bring much more uh, to the consumer. So I use the terminology there, object-based audio. This is something I like to uh, disambiguate a little bit, which is, because um, it sounds a bit complex, um, but it's really just already been around for a long time in, in mixing consoles. You have individual stems, individual uh, audio tracks, and you can control the level of them, you can control the position of them. And one of the things that's, you know, it's complex on, on a mixing console, there's, there's lots of knobs and, and faders and things. Uh, and so the challenge with next generation audio is to translate that into a way where the home consumer can interact with their audio in a, in a limited but meaningful way on a remote control. So talking about Atmos and, and what it means, uh, another piece I like to, to hark back to is, is what Atmos means from a content creation point of view in, in different worlds. So it started in the cinema, Dolby Atmos, and uh, in a cinema you have lots and lots of speakers and lots of fidelity and positional information that you can, you can create in that post-produced environment for cinematic content. And so this is just a screenshot of the, uh, of the tool that people use uh, for creating uh, cinematic and home theatre content. And as you can see, these objects are moving around multiple uh, up to 128 in real time, uh, which is a bit different to what Atmos is for life. Realistically, it'd be a lot of work for a mixer to be doing all this uh, dynamically uh, and live on a sports event. So commonly what happens is for uh, live sports, we mix to a 5.1.4 um, speaker arrangement. And so just to move on to uh, stepping through the, the, the technical features again. So we're into the accessibility piece here. And I think Jason described this pretty well earlier. And so we've got the ability with AC4 to have dialogue enhancement. Now, the component-based way of doing this with a separate dialogue and a, and a separate music and effects bed uh, is something which is, you know, that's the, uh, the top tier way of delivering a dialogue enhancement experience where you can adjust the level independently of that dialogue track. But what we've done with AC4 is built in this pre-processor, the dialogue enhancement uh, pre-analysis, which means that that feature is always there. So if you've got legacy content, stereo 5.1 on servers already, this dialogue enhancement feature is bolted onto that experience for no extra cost. And it means that that uh, dialogue enhancement user experience there is available consistently, no matter whether it's new content where you've gone to the effort of uh, separating these stems or if it's just your existing content. And it works uh, amazingly well actually with, with just existing mixes. So it's worth, uh, don't worry too much about the complexity on here. It's all taken care of under the hood. Um, and one of the other things, it's probably worth mentioning here, the di term dialogue enhancement. Uh, in product, you might find other versions of this, this term. So I think in the US, for example, it's, um, it's labeled as voice plus, and that's how they're marketing it to the, uh, to the US market. Um, but dialogue enhancement, dialogue intelligibility, voice boost as well. We've seen a few different versions of, of the way uh, products uh, like to promote this feature. 
Um, I just grabbed some some screenshots here of the of the screens of a couple of televisions which have AC4 and dialogue enhancement features. So on the left, I believe that is a Panasonic. And you can see my you can see my colleague's uh, Guitar Hero controller in the reflection there as well. So uh, I think the one on the right is a Philips uh, television, which is uh, 2020 model as well. And just to sort of show the way this works, um, we have TV controls here where you'll have an audio description on off. And this is, this is again, coming into the accessibility features as separate to the uh, dialogue enhancement. Um, the way a user who requires audio description will interact with their TV is they'd set it up so that they have audio description as a preference based on. Uh, and then when that feature is available in an AC4 stream, the, the mixing will happen automatically for them. And the main audio alongside the audio description can be ducked dynamically around that if needed. And so what you can see on the left here is that the streams are starting to get quite complex. So when you have plus D, uh, plus dialogues uh, and plus ADs, the audio descriptions, we're starting to get quite a lot of, uh, of, um, of objects and things. So the need describing, and these can be dynamic, you see in a broadcast as well. So you'll find that potentially they could be uh, there for the main program, but obviously you may not have audio description tracks for, for advertisements and things like that going along with it. And so controlling when and describing when these uh, objects are present is one of the new challenges that we're working with ATEM to, uh, to control in a broadcast chain. So just to show the audio description, this is um, an example of, of what it looks like when you Typically now, audio description is quite an accessible feature on a remote control, it's quite quick to get to, uh, and the mix level as well in the menus. Just uh, keeping an eye on time here. Um, so another feature, of course, is the immersive side of things. And this is where, uh, just a simple slide really to describe that AC4 exists in an ecosystem where um, if we had to get it all the way to AVRs and soundbars, then it would limit the amount of people that could experience the immersive uh, flavor of, of AC4. And so by translating that into something which is already in the, in the marketplace, uh, it means that we can leverage all of those existing devices as well and mean that everyone can get a, an AC4 experience with their existing immersive systems. So presentation selection, this is, um, there are sort of two sides to this. It's a bit of a wordy slide here. So what we're saying is in the, in the first slide, first side of this is preference-based. So it's under the hood, it's taken care of by your configuration of the TV. You set things up and you can, uh, it will know what language you prefer from a multi-presentation stream. Um, but then on top of that, we can also have sort of named streams. So things which are alternative experiences, but perhaps in the same language. So you need a bit more information there, more than just a language tag. Uh, and the new standards such as the, the Nordic specification describe ways of, of sending that all the information all the way to the consumer, to the, to the viewer at home. So the obvious use cases for this are things like um, biased commentator, so you might have a home and away commentator, or perhaps something like uh, a director's commentary, perhaps for a post-produced piece of content. 
So this was just um, a quick screen grab of, of a test stream which I made on a, on to an LG television which adheres to the latest Nordic specifications. And so I put uh, some text labels on here. You can see one. Uh, there's two called Standard and two called Whisper. Those were just alternate takes that the uh, the narrator did for this particular piece of post-produced content. It's not actually um, a different level. It's just a, a different way they were they were speaking. And so, um, you know, this is uh, a quick presentation that shows, uh, you know, you can have quite a lot going on in a single stream here. I had seven, eight presentations in this particular one. And this is um, a, a proof of concept we did with uh, an application for HBBTV uh, with Eurovision content. And through HBBTV, of course, you have the, the relative luxury of, of control with HTML and JavaScript. And so you can, you can skin these controls a little bit more and still map through to the presentation selection in the media. So here we've got uh, language controls with a, a defined um, uh, GUI, and you can also have presentations which have, in this case, a commentator in a, in a different location. So instead of being front and center, perhaps in one of the surround sounds or in any, any position in the 3D space. Okay, so now we've got <laughs> not much time to run through some trials and services. Uh, and so I should be quite quick on these and, and make some uh, some points about what we were achieving in these particular events. So um, first of all, I should mention this wasn't um, a next generation audio explicitly. This was a, a Dolby Digital Plus event, BlizzCon, uh, quite recently. And the point I want to make about this is what we were able to do with the TEM um, by virtue of their inclusion of the Dolby Digital Plus Atmos encoder now being built in to the Titan Live. Um, and of course, the, the Dolby Vision reprocessing as well, which, uh, which Thomas mentioned, that's all in there. So the amount of equipment in between your SDI source and your Titan encoder, your head-end encoder, is dropped a lot. Uh, and this makes our life a lot easier. As a, as a Dolby engineer, this is um, you know uh, really, really helpful. So what I'd previously had to do if I had uh, a UHD event for each Dolby Digital Plus encode, I'd have to have something like this where I'm uh, have a DP591, which is a, a 1U rack unit doing the encoding, which takes 245 milliseconds. So I've got to delay the video that amount as well in the other quadrants and then re-embed. And this could be this could be three or four rack units worth of equipment, depending on what you're using. So that's um, something which is available today in the in the release builds of um, uh, the Titan Live. And so hopefully this lowers the boundary for deployment for more immersive Atmos experiences. Um, so we mentioned this earlier as well. Um, in Poland, we've got AC4 on air, and that is part of their specification now in Poland is that AC4 should be supported for DVB-T2. And this is reaching uh, 12 million households now. So that's, um, you know, it's great to see that we've spent years now, Jason and I working on AC4, making sure that it's available and, and mature and, and works well. And to finally see uh, a, a reach like this is, is really positive. Um, but they're not doing anything particularly um, advanced in the workflow. They're really utilizing this and with their existing legacy source, 
So this is the same feed that reaches their HD ABC broadcast. And we, with AC4, we're able to do this automatic dialogue enhancement. So it's in improving the, the accessibility of that feature of that, of that service. And of course, the improved bitrate efficiency means that they can uh, squeeze a few more uh, bits into video quality as well. So Roland Garros last year, gosh, that was a, a challenging year for, for doing live events, but uh, we did manage to do some really impressive stuff with, with the Tema here. And this was first of its kind for us, which was controlling our encoder with serialized ADM. So how much time have we got? Really not enough to describe serialized ADM. Uh, what I should say is that effectively, this is a control track which goes alongside the PCM audio and describes the experiences within the PCM. So if I've got a 5.1.4 and then a French dialogue, it can describe that. Uh, and then we could splice to another stream which has a, a track, a serial ADM track, which describes just a stereo mix or a 5.1 mix. Uh, and then the, uh, the Titan Live knows to switch its AC4 encoder into those modes. Um, and this was part of the goals of, of from France Television um, were to adhere to these uh, TR045 recommendations. And we wanted an, an open uh, codec independent workflow. And that's what this serialized ADM is as well. That really ticks that box because it's, it's not a Dolby proprietary thing at all. It's an open standard and it's something we can plug into the front end of our AC4 encoder and slave to. Um, and of course the French specifications there have put AC4 as their recommended codec and we needed to have the AC4 encoder in a third party product. So that's outside of the Dolby product and into the ATEM that ticks that box as well. So that was uh, a great success for those uh, goals. So this is the workflow. We haven't really got time to go into it in any great depth, but we can say the serial ADM here on the left is, is embedded alongside the mix that comes from the mixer here. And then this is a sort of, it's, it's always saying the same thing in this case. It's not really dynamic from our source here, but when we take this switch off to our adverts, that has got a different set of metadata and that's what the uh, attempt slaves to. So this is one of the workflows um, that I became aware of uh, recently. So a colleague of mine in the US was supporting this in India. Uh, this is a ATSC um, proof of concept out there uh, with a broadcast to mobile uh, spin on the end of it. So the, the Titan Live here is the, um, uh, is the, uh, the key piece that brings all these, these features together. So. You can see everything downstream of it uh, slaves to these multiple outputs uh, and the dash route system is um, well used as well in the US, of course, where they're doing something a lot more similar to the, the Poland workflow. A lot of the time where they take, you know, just an existing service as a turnaround and then bolt the AC4 encoder on um, and they get that dialogue enhancement feature out of the box for that. So just to show this again with a bit less labeling, perhaps that makes it a bit clearer. So, so yes, there's uh, quite a lot, you know, this is what our labs look like as well, by the way, in, uh, in Dolby at the moment, lots of, lots of other equipment bolted into these, these uh, Titan live encoders, which 
forming more and more the core of our, of our test systems. Um, and so from there, like I said, I, I, th I could probably do another hour on serial ABM if we really wanted to talk about that and the ecosystem that we're uh, hoping emerges to, to feed our next generation audio encoders. Um, but I think I shall have to send you some links to go and read up on that afterwards. Uh, and so this is just some, some references that hopefully people can follow up on, on areas of interest. So we, uh, we have a website called developer.dolby.com and you can find much more information about PMD and serial ADM. PMD is, is another flavor of metadata, uh, professional metadata, it's called another way to control these um, codecs. And of course, we uh, at Dolby as well are doing a, a few webinars here and there in the content creation side of things as well. So if you look at professional.dolby.com, you'll see some information there about other uh, places you can find more about Dolby technologies. So I think that's, that's where I'm gonna wrap up and uh, hopefully we've had some questions and we can get to uh, yes, answering those. Do. Thank you very much. Um, we have a couple of questions. So one is about audio description. Um, can you explain what it is exactly? Is it for the visually impaired? Um, so maybe, I don't know if Jason or Jacob wants to answer that. Yeah, let, let, me, let me take that. Um, so thank you, Bill, for the question. Um, so yes, indeed, as, as you, I think you were suspecting in a, in a question, um, audio description or what we, we were describing there as audio description is uh, is indeed what is known as video description in, in some markets, particularly in the US. Um, it's exactly the same thing. It's just different terminology has become used in, in, in different places. Um, uh, what we're talking about there is, uh, is an optional additional audio commentary uh, that usually describes the action that's going on. Uh, so in a, in a moment, in, typically in, in periods of the program where there isn't dialogue, uh, there's an additional uh, narrator or commentary voice that, that describes the act, any important action that's going on on the screen um, so that somebody that has less ability to, to see the screen can, uh, can get a better sense of what's going on in a story. And, uh, and an advantage, you know, so this is, this is not a completely new concept. It's possible obviously to do by pre-mixing audio an additional audio version with this, but the advantage that that next generation audio gives us with this uh, with, with with this feature is it is it enables us to um, overlay it more flexibly so uh, so the so the user can have more control for example over the level of commentary because it's the addition of the of the commentary is done in in the receiver um, so they can have choice over the the level or positioning of uh, of that commentary um, and also means that you can scale it to a lot more different versions. So typically um, audio description or video description may only be available for one version of the program. Um, so for one language, for example, whereas this makes it possible to make that feature available very easily across multiple languages um, and across different versions of the program as well, if you're, if you're offering them. So, uh, so to make sure that you know, the very people who, who would benefit most from better audio can uh, can can still get access to to the descriptive track too. Um, the other element of your question, I think, was around um, the uh, whether the, we know whether there's a, a on the remote control whether there's any tactile indicator to help find the buttons. Um, 
I don't have a clear recollection of that, but I'm, I'm certainly, uh, I, I have, I, but I, I, I have certainly come across some, some TV manufacturers to do that. And I think in some markets, there's actually some standardization on a physical indicator to help people find the, find the right buttons. Um, but, um, but, 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 I, um, but I'm not absolutely sure. Uh, but thank you, thank you for the question. If, if I add, might add a, a few um, items to this, uh, beside um, uh, personalizing the volume of the audio description, you can also personalize the place uh, since it's mixed on the receiver again, which is really nice if uh, you want it on your left or right side, which might be actually important for some people um, based on their relative uh, earrings. Uh, that's the first thing. And I just want also to emphasize Jason's point on the fact that in broadcast mix, so when the, the mix is happening on the head and side, this is already available today. I mean, we are in production with audio description, uh, including in, in the UK, where this is a big, uh, big thing uh, with our Titans. Uh, and um, while uh, we are taking this step one step further with AC4, making it more powerful, scalable, personalizable. It's no excuse. You, you can today, with existing codec, provide audio description uh, content to improve accessibility of, of your uh, services. And, and we're happy to support that today. Okay, another question we have is about the recording of the sessions, and I'll take that question. <laughs> Um, the sessions will be recorded and we will be sending you a thank you email with the link to the recording, but probably it will be end of next week because we'll have to upload all the recordings. It'll take a bit of time, but yeah, they will be available eventually and we'll send you the link. A few more questions. Uh, we have time for maybe a couple more. So uh, one for Jason. What is going to be more important, immersive or personalized audio? So this is an opinion. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, good question. Um, I, I mean, there's the, the tremendous momentum behind immersive um, at the moment, and I, I think that's really exciting. And I think it's really exciting. You know, so I think sometimes it's it's easy to think of immersive as being like you know for the home theater enthusiast. And what excites me about what's going on immersive at the moment is. It, you know, I can get a great immersive experience if I go out and buy a 200 euro soundbar um, to a $200 soundbar. I can even get a great uh, you know, immersive experience uh, to start me off, um, you know, buying a TV for a UHD TV for a few hundred dollars um, or a few hundred euros um, or just, you know, going out and getting the next, the greatest um, you know, Samsung Galaxy phone. You know, the, these experiences are accessible in a way uh, that they've just not been before. And I think that's really exciting. Um, but I also think that per what's, going to, what's going to go on with personalization is going to be really exciting for, for different reasons. I think it's going to, you know, personalization is something that, uh, that can bring benefit to any piece of content. It doesn't have to be, you know, carefully produced or carefully captured. You know, the, 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 for example, features like dialogue enhancement can make a difference for every piece of content. And so, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited about that for, for different reasons in that I think it's, it's just going to make our, our ability just to engage and enjoy 
you know, all pieces of programming better. So, um, so, so I guess I'm, I'm saying both, uh, but I, you know, but I think in, in different ways. Okay. So one for the masses and one maybe for the elite content consumption. Yeah. Well, you know, one for, you know, the content that's going to benefit from it, if I'm being going to be, you know, said having that kind of immersive soundscape, um, mm -hmm. although I, you know, hope that everybody can have access when it, however they're watching to that immersive experience. Um, and then one, you know, just generally that I think will, will make it easier for all people, no matter what their, you know, capabilities and preferences are um, to, uh, to engage with content. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. A question? Yeah, sorry. It's also it will be interesting to see how the market reacts and uh, and how the industry plays with those personalization features. Today's poll clearly showed that people are interested, uh, so that's exciting, and we'll see in the next few years uh, what new uh, ways people came up with. And usually, when you give creators more flexibility, they tend to use it. So I'm excited about that. Okay. One last question, and then we really have to end. It's for Thomas. Which Titan Live uh, version supports built-in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos generation? Sorry, it's uh, 4.1.24.2. So it's GA, it's available. You can, can use it. If you don't have it already, you can just contact us and, and play with it. Okay, thank you. We need to keep the pace of this race, so I'll end the questions now. And I'll just conclude by summing up very quickly uh, two key takeaways of this session. So one is that Dolby has created very sophisticated technology that enables a totally immersive viewing experience, both in terms of image and in terms of sound. And two, that ATEM makes it easy to access and deploy this technology through its Titan encoders. Now we are at the end of the third podcast. If you would like to find out more, you can go to the atam.com website or follow us on LinkedIn. Next time we will cover the future of content security, learning from leaders. Don't miss out.